<laughs> that laugh, it won the hearts of millions. But behind the laugh was a shrewd businesswoman, a mother who sacrificed relationships, and a legend tormented by fame. Lucille Ball, America's funniest woman like you've never heard before. Join me, Ben Mankiewicz, for a new season of the podcast, The Plot Thickens, Lucy. Follow for free on Apple Podcasts and visit tcm.com slash podcast to learn more. So we're here at Marshall's with Liz for some holiday shopping. She's really nailing it this year, isn't she? Oh, yep. She's got a record player for Amy. A gorgeous cozy sweater for Jason. And some hot pink fluffy slippers for her sister. The perfect gift. Wait a sec. <gasps> She's getting a pair for herself. Well, with prices this good, it would be rude not to. You know what? She totally deserves it. Oh, totally. Happy holidays, everyone. See you at Marshall's. Fabulous brands. Feel good prices at Marshall's. Yo fam, what's good, what's poppin'? Yo fam, what's good, what's poppin'? Oh, 800, yo fam. Whatever it is, yo fam, what's good, what's poppin'? Yo fam, what's good, what's poppin'? Oh, 800, yo fam. Whatever in it. Yo, what's good, what's popping? Welcome, 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 wiggity, wiggity, welcome to the new sound of 0800 Yo Fam, whatever in it. I feel like this episode took longer than I had anticipated. And it's only because. I didn't want to be disrespectful, you know what I'm saying? Like, I wanted to be able to talk about what I'm about to talk about in the most respectful way. I didn't want to seem like I was mocking it or anything like that, you know what I'm saying? I just wanted to be able to speak about my experiences. But also, another reason why this episode led to a bit of a hiatus in my um in my uploading schedule and stuff like that is because also I came across an app called Clubhouse you know what I'm saying I heard whispers about it and whatnot but I hadn't joined you know what I'm saying I I kind of put it off for a while because I thought it was all about Passa this that and a third however you know one of my girlfriend's besties broke it down for me and I thought you know what I like I like what I'm hearing you know what I'm saying so I signed up and I didn't see anything and then um, I started following a few people and I found that there was this um what is it like this this debate room thing led by podcasters and prominent podcasters and they was dropping gems so I thought to myself raw like You've got, you've always had whateverinit.com as a URL. Why don't you start using that as your podcast site? Also, I had a situation where I was reminded of stuff that I used to do. You know what I'm saying? Back in my up in the air days in like 2010, how I used to write and publish without kind of caution. I just used to just get a wave of something, write it, bang, it's out there. And I thought, whatever in it, needs to be that place for me I need to be writing you know what I'm saying and it can kind of feed into the creation of scripts for the podcast as well you know what I'm saying 
So that's the that's what I've been really meditating on. You know what I'm saying? And also what led to the tangent of me going down the rabbit hole was the fact that what I had originally planned for episode 43, I was going to talk about my experiences of, you know, indulging in haram. And I know that sounds more serious than it actually is, isn't it? Like, man wasn't doing, like, some wild shit. However, like, I went through a phase where I was just eating pork, it, And as someone that, you know, you know you're born and your parents embrace you in Islam. Like, you know what I'm saying? That becomes your religion. And regardless of whether we used to go mosque or, you know, pray five times a day or whatever, that definitely forms a solid foundation on my faith and my outlook on the world. You know what I'm saying? Because that's, it's like the Quran almost and uh, starting your prayers in Arabic, like the Bismillah, all of that stuff is all I've ever known. You know what I'm saying? So I I approached this episode with mad caution because I didn't want it to sound like man's offending anyone or I'm taking a piss or making light of like a belief system or trivialising it. And it's not that. I simply used to indulge in pork, innit? Like, like on a real. It was that. And I used to rationalise it by saying, you know, man only eats popular pork. You know, the shit that you see on TV, like, you know, I, it used to be like, like I said, it was a novelty for man in it because I spent all of my years just staying away from it, being like, oh, that shit is bad. It's terrible, rare, rare, rare. But for some reason, in like my mid to late 20s, yeah, going into the 30s and shit, like... I was just like indulging in popular pork and this is how I used to classify it it was you know like popular pork shit you see on TV like you know you've got bacon and eggs you've got sausages like Cumberland sausages you've got fucking what else like a, a, a BLT you know a, a chicken and bacon sandwich like shit like I remember tasting bacon eggs for the first time and that was like relatively recent that's probably about a year and a half to two years ago and I was like wow how have I missed this shit all of my life you know what I'm saying like when I used to go calf like and I'll break it down like this there was no suitable halal option so all my life if I'm going to my if I'm going to the calf to eat something with my brethren's and whatnot like I'm either stuck with a vegetarian sausage or some shitty substitutes yeah or I have to get like a fish dish or a beef dish and shit like that. And not every day man wants to eat chicken and fish and shit like that. So I thought, fuck it. One day I just started doing up haram in it. I wasn't eating the hardcore shit. Like when I say hardcore, I mean ribs. I mean all of that other shit. Like for me, that was a step too far in it. But like I said, I just used to indulge in... All of that. Full English breakfast with the Cumberland sausages, with the bacon and whatnot. Like, that was the one in it. And then, I can't remember, I can remember how I stopped. You know what I'm saying? I remember it was, I, I started reading the Bible and the Quran again. Yeah. And, um, 
I remember reading the Bible in the in the New Testament. One of my colleagues was like, yo, you only can understand the Bible and put everything into context. Like if you start from the New Testament and go back to the Old Testament, you begin to start breaking down stuff even more. Also, it's Easter and I love the story of like Jesus and shit around Easter. You know what I'm saying? So I came across this verse in Mark 5.13 that read, And forth with Jesus gave them leave and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. So this was like hearing that verse, yeah? And I was like, rah. I started putting two and two together in it because before my parents embraced Islam, like, for a phase, you know what I'm saying, in the 80s and stuff like that, got into the, yeah, in the 80s and stuff, they were like Christians in Jamaica, you know what I'm saying, and my dad was a Rastafarian, so it's like, on both sides, my family just never ate pork, like, you know what I'm saying, and then I started to put two and two together when I read the verse, the, the Mark 5, 13, because I never knew exactly why, but then if Jesus is casting the evil spirits into the swine and they're running off into the sea could that be one of the reasons why traditionally we just haven't eaten pork you know what I'm saying and then when when I read up on the background of Mark 5.13 yeah it's kind of like it's a demonstration of say the good so God having dominion over everything so it means that the devil is not its own entity but it still operates within the the frame of God if that makes sense but yeah so ultimately I'm reading the the Bible and the Quran back to back you get me and I'm coming across a lot of things you know what I'm saying a lot of things so where is it so there's this verse right in surah 5 verse 3 and it says prohibited for you are carrion blood the flesh of swine and animals dedicated to other than god also the flesh of animals strangled killed violently killed by a fool gored to death mangled by wild animals except what you rescue and animals sacrificed on altars and the practice of drawing lots for it is immoral and like even with that verse that's from the surah al madia right and even with that i feel like i started to piece together why in it i i just never knew the why behind why i didn't i was prohibited from eating particular foods like all of my life and stuff i never put two and two together 
But then I started reading these verses and I started to understand. You know what I'm saying? And then when I'm understanding it and put it in the, in the perspective of what's in like scripture, Quran, etc., I'm starting to be like, rah. Like when I go to have the full English now, I'm like, rah, this is a bit mad for man. You get me? So it's like, now there isn't just some mystery behind why something is prohibited for me, if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? I know the reasons. It's like, and even when I reflect on my time that I spent with the um, the black Hebrew Israelites in Israel, yeah? When I was like mad young in like the summer of 97, stayed in this kibbutz in uh, D- Dimona, right? In the Beresheva Desert. And I always used to think, right, like, why are these people vegan? I don't get it. And then, in my quest of, you know, reading the Old Testament, yeah, and going into the Torah and stuff like that, basically, in Genesis, book 1, verse 29, it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be for meat so I finally after like 20 something years of never knowing why these people were staunch vegan anti-processed food and stuff I suddenly understood them you know what I'm saying? I, un- I suddenly understood who I was staying with and the reason why. So it's almost as though by reflection and going into wanting to share verses that led me to stop eating pork again or popular pork as I deemed it, yeah? I just wanted to express the why, but also through that, it made me think, bro, like when you present this podcast episode, you you can't be trivial. It can't be laughy, laughy, jokey, jokey. You know what I'm saying? But then it's saying that it led me down the rabbit hole where, you know, I started looking through books I had read and notes that I had written about some iconic kind of verses that resonated with me. You know what I'm saying? So, it led me to to reflect on, like, my recent release of uh, Cogitation, right? And I was sharing the reason why I started writing part two and why I put it into a book form and I started sharing the concept with um, people at work and outside of work. And... It was in me rediscovering Julius Caesar in 2017, right? In Act 1, Scene 2, a public place, Cassius says, Then Brutus, I have much mistook your passion by means whereof this breast of mine hath buried thoughts of great value, worthy cogitations. Tell me, good Brutus, can you see your face? Brutus replied, No, Cassius, for the eye sees not itself, but by reflection, by some other things. 
for me, I read that verse and read the word cogitation and I was intrigued. And when I looked it up and it meant to think deeply, to contemplate, I thought that's what I do when I write. I think and think and think and break things down and start writing when I'm inspired and I can interpret it in my own way. But also the line... For the eye sees not itself, but by reflection some other things. Right, that made me think. You can't enjoy the picture whilst in the picture. So look upon yourself through reflecting on what you see. It's easy to judge others through projecting your reflections onto them. So be careful. Other notable verses from... Act 1, scene 2 involved Julius Caesar. So Caesar says, Let me have men about me that are fat, sleek-headed men and such as sleep o nights. Yond Cassius has a lean and hungry look. He thinks too much. Such men are dangerous. So what Caesar's saying is that he notices that Cassius is hungry for power and respect. The fact that he thinks too much and observes scare Caesar because he's always watching, analysing, plotting and scheming. Cassius seems like the guy who's putting batteries in the backs of others. But it goes to show that Caesar has good instincts. You know what I'm saying? And this is a very big lesson in trusting your intuition. So Antony responds to Caesar, right? And says... Fear him not, Caesar. He's not dangerous. He's a noble Roman and well given. At this point in life, right, Antonius doesn't seem to be switched on. He's naive to the intentions of others and gives an early impression of not knowing how to read people. Caesar responds, he reads too much. He is a great observer and he looks quite through the deeds of men. He loves no plays. Caesar fears Cassius because he reads people in situations. His mind is always switched on. Possibly doesn't like plays as he sees life as a stage. It's the same thing for me and, and gambling. Like I don't gamble. I don't play video games because for me like life is a game. You know what I'm saying? Caesar then goes on to say... I rather tell thee what is to be feared than what I fear, for I am Caesar. So at this point, he's teaching Antony how to manage and move through Senate, but also teaching him the lesson that none should ever know his weaknesses or fears, as they can attack his vulnerabilities. In Act 2, Scene 2 at Caesar's house... Caesar says, and this is one of my favourite lines in all of Shakespeare. Cowards die many times before their deaths. The valiant never taste death but once. Of all the wonders that I have yet have heard, it seems to me most strange that men should fear seeing death. A necessary end will come when it will come. So if you listen to 0800 Yo Fam, the album, you would have heard on Grime Theosophy. On Grime Theosophy, 
that is the intro. And it's a song where I go into metaphysics, I go into my place in life as well as the end. And it's almost saying, look, I, I know that death is the only certainty and it's the only truth in this life. You know what I'm saying? But Caesar quotes it. And he's basically saying that each opportunity you decline to take because of fear is a part that dies within you due to denying that part of yourself the chance to explore and pursue that aspiration. Accept that the end is always nigh. It's life's only certainty, but that won't stop him from his pursuit of greatness by being brave and assertive. So that's what Caesar represents. You know what I'm saying? At Capella University, education is as smart as the world around us. With the FlexPath format, you can take classes at your own pace, set your own deadlines, and even leverage your previous experience to move faster. Now that's smart. Learn more at capella.edu. Oh, yeah, 100 yo fam, what's good, what's poppin', whateverinit.com. That's W-H-A-T-E-V-E-R-I-N-N-I-T.com. I know what I said on the last episode, and I know what I said in the actual podcast song. But I understand. Things can change fast, man. You know, I set up whateverinit.com as the site for this podcast, separated from 0800 Yo Fam. You know what I'm saying? Give it its own air to breathe. So on to another Shakespeare play that, you know, has a verse that, or even a line that resonates me with me a lot. Because you know me, if you listen to my music, if you listen to my poetry, if you listen to what I write and what I reflect on, usually it is around time, purpose. It is around immortality and it is around death and life it's around the core things you know what I'm saying and this is from Romeo and Juliet from act one scene one when it's uh, in Verona Republic place and Romeo says something along the lines of not having that which having makes them short And it's a clever way at looking at time. When you aren't doing something you enjoy, time is slow. But when you're doing things you enjoy, time moves with speed. And that's some real shit. Like, I'm already 20 minutes in and I'm wondering, where the rest did 20 minutes go? I've still got more verses to share. This is a mad thing. But, you know, that's how it goes. I guess time flies when you're having fun. I just translated that in the cheesiest way possible. Another book I read, right, is it's a free book from iBooks and it's called The Samurai Strategy. And there is this, I've only got to, I've the second or third chapter. And the character says something like, he reflects on the life of samurais. And if you're familiar with my piece, Warrior or Gardener, you know, I use the 
I use the imagery of, you know, a warrior that's on the battlefield against someone that's pruning his flowers in the garden. And the, the great thing about samurai culture and Japanese nobility and warrior nobility back in those days, right, is that they were incredibly nuanced. You know what I'm saying? You can be like a bad man swordsman chopping down man on battlefield, having jewels and whatever, but at the same time, you can be writing a haiku, if that's what it's called, like one of those poems. You know what I'm saying? You can be writing poetry. Then you can be writing about philosophy or you can be conducting a dope tea ceremony that Mandem are going to know about or you could be landscaping your garden. Like they were so nuanced in everything they'd done and that's why I respect traditional Japanese culture for these for these things because there's so much intricacies. You see... The Japanese warriors had a code that said you ought to live every moment in full awareness of your own mortality. When you adopt this essential outlook, so they claimed, all regrets, emotions, complaints can be seen as an indulgence. You're ready to meet life head on, to risk everything at a moment's notice. That's the only way you ever discover who you really are and it's supposed to make you marvellously detached. So I interpret that as you never know when your time's up, so live. And it also explains and sums up how I try to live my life. You know what I'm saying? Speaking of death and, you know, life and the intersection of flight, fight and survival... Another great book I read, and I was so happy that I read the novel, as previously I used to binge watch the box sets, is um, Mario Puzo's The Godfather. Like, it was the only reason why I bought a PS4, to be honest with you. But in the book, The Godfather, in chapter 11, during the McCluskey and Salazzo hit, right... There's an exchange between Sonny, Tom Hagen and Michael Corleone. A few others were there like Clemenza and their man and whatnot. And um, you shouldn't let that broken jaw influence you, Hagen said. McClutsky is a stupid man and it was business, not personal. For the second time he saw Michael Corleone's face freeze into a mask that resembled uncannily the Don's. Tom, don't let anybody kid you. It's all personal. Every bit of business. Every piece of shit every man has to eat every day of his life is personal. They call it business, okay. But it's personal as hell. You know where I learned that from? The Don. My old man. The Godfather. If a bolt of lightning hit a friend of the old man, he would take it personal. He took my going into the Marines personal. That's what makes him great, the great Don. He takes everything personal like God. He knows every feather that falls from the tail of a sparrow or however the hell it goes, right? And you know something? Accidents don't happen to people who take accidents as personal as an insult. 
So I came late, okay. But I'm coming all the way. Damn right. I take that broken jaw personal. Damn right. I take a lot so trying to kill my father personal. He laughed. Tell the old man I learned it all from him. And that I'm glad I had this chance to pay him back for all he did for me. He was a good father. He paused and then he thoughtfully said to Hagen, You know, I can never remember him hitting me or Sonny or Freddie and of course Connie. He wouldn't even yell at her. And tell me the truth, Tom. How many men do you figure that Don killed or had killed? Tom Hagen turned away. I'll tell you one thing you didn't learn from him, talking the way you're talking now. There are things that have to be done and you do them and you never talk about them. You don't try to justify them. They can't be justified. You just do them. Then you forget it. Michael Corleone frowned. He said quietly, As the consigliori, you agree that it's dangerous to the Don and our family for Salozzo to live. Yes, Hagen said. Okay, Michael said. Then I have to kill him. This is the realest shit that I've read that contextualizes the evil that men do. And it can also be tied back to Mark Anthony's speech in Julius Caesar, where man, man comes out and says, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. You know, at that point where he starts calling out Brutus and the Mandem and all of the, the, the senators for killing Caesar, saying that in some ways it's necessary, but then he killed one of the Mandem, so we have to ride out. You know what I'm saying? So in chapter 12 of the John of the Godfather, Tom Hagen goes to visit Johnny Fontaine. And I love this, this, this little, this little verse. You know what I'm saying? How the hell is he gonna get the award? Johnny Fontaine asked incredulously. Hagen said sharply, How do you find it so easy to believe that Waltz can finagle it and your godfather can't? Now, since it's necessary to get your faith for the other part of the deal, I must tell you this, just keep it to yourself. Your godfather is a much more powerful man than Jack Waltz, and he is much more powerful in areas far more critical. How can he swing the award? He controls or controls the people who control all the labour unions in the industry, all the people or nearly all the people who vote. Of course, you have to be good. You have to be in contention on your own merits. And your godfather has more brains than Jack Waltz. He doesn't go up to these people and put a gun to their heads and say, vote for Johnny Fontaine or you are out of a job. He doesn't strong arm where strong arm doesn't work or leaves too many hard feelings. He'll make those people vote for you because they want to, but they won't want to unless he takes an interest. Now take my word for it. 
that he can get you the award and that if it doesn't do it you won't get it okay Johnny said I believe you and that right there people is a lesson in influence and power So one of the books I've been reading over lockdown is called The Shock Doctrine. Now, more than ever, it's something that is highly important and great to reflect on. Because before I read The Shock Doctrine, I used to think, rah, like, there's a lot of booky stuff happening in the world. And this kind of put it into perspective because... Shock Doctrine is written by an investigative journalist called Naomi Klein. She wrote one of my favourite books, No Logo, which I used for my dissertation, and it opened my eyes even further into the world of branding and manufacturing. Right? And in the introduction, it kind of tells the tale of a back and forth between two key thinkers of their times. Right? And the importance of laying low having your plan and infiltrating different areas of society or high society decision making that it would one day blossom into fruition and also having a testing ground you get me so in the introduction Naomi Naomi Klein um, writes some people stockpile canned goods and water in preparation for major disasters Freedmanites stockpile free market ideas. So that means rather than hoard things and await the four disasters to pass, always be prepared over an elongated period of time. Observe and formulate your ideas, thinking of all and the fail safes and inevitables so it can pre- be presented when the time arises. Naomi Klein also writes, for 35 years, what has animated Friedman's counter-revolution is an attraction to a kind of freedom and possibility available only in times of cataclysmic change. When people with their stubborn habits and insistent demands are blasted out of the way. Moments when democracy seems a practical impossibility. And just for context, Friedman was like a sculpture chipping away at Keynes' ideology bit by bit, prototyping these systems in other regions laying in wait for the right moment where he could find an adopter of his idea or rather when enough of his disciples were in positions of power and influence to strike. It seems like a well-coordinated campaign. All they needed was a disaster to strike that knocks routines, rituals, safety and patterns out of sync. Shock and awe. It's an absolute mad thing. If you do make time for yourself, research Friedman and research Keynes. So they're two types of different thinkers in regards to education, economy and infrastructure. Keynes was of the 
you know, the free school way of thinking. Friedman was for the kind of um, privatised schooling system way of thinking. And it's amazing how their school of thoughts spread and influenced the way we do things to this day. I believe that in some ways Friedman has been successful more in the modern day because his disciples have gotten more positions of influence which he didn't see his vision come to life until say the late 90s early 2000s just after say September the 11th the Iraq war and stuff like that prior to that he was testing all of his kind of policies and plans in um Central and South America under the regimes of military coups and stuff like that. So, they're just some of my favourite verses that I wanted to share. And to think about how it came into play, it was all from me wanting to, you know, just thinking, you know what, I'm going to tell my story about you know, pork, but not pork, yeah, but then I also wanted to share the turning point of what made me think, you know what, I'm just gonna be sensible from now on, or now I know the the why behind why we observe certain traditions, let me just abide by that, you know what I'm saying, so... Pink. Hey football fans, it's time to raise your pint of Guinness and toast to a great year ahead. Let's keep looking out for each other and remember, good things are in our grasp. Game time is Guinness time. Cheers. Please enjoy responsibly. Guinness imported by Diageo Beer Company, USA, New York, New York. But yeah. 0800 Yo Fam, what's good? What's popping? You know? whateverinit.com that's what it's about right now I can share some more of my favourite verses you know I will actually so let's go on to Surah 294 from the Holy Quran yeah Say, if the final home with God is yours alone to the exclusion of all other people, then wish for death if you are sincere. You know, that line right there is deep. Faith is often an inconvenient truth and when you are touched by a revelation and follow the truth of what has been revealed, you can become ostracized from others as a result. Knowing that God is always with you, you'll never be alone and look forward to the day you meet. And in Surah 2, verse 29, every one of them wishes he could live a thousand years, but to be granted a long life will not nudge him from the punishment. Yo. And it made me reflect on in this one, right? Is man's quest for immortality a result of being afraid to meet his maker? 
being afraid of the unknown and cannot be explained, forecasted or predicted. Even in my own quest for immortality through writing as a naive teen, it may have been rooted in the fear of not knowing or being uncomfortable that things will come to an end at a time that I cannot predict neither method or circumstance rather than right their wrongs people tend to bask in the source of sin not realizing that one step to God equates to two or more towards you word so still on surah 2 Right, in verse 170 it says And when it is said to them Follow what God has revealed They say We will follow what we found our ancestors following Even if their ancestors understood nothing And were not guided So blindly following something Because it was there before Isn't the right way Because you may not even know why you follow that set of customs on where they originate from take for instance my reason for like not eating pork all my life because I never really understood the why it's almost as though I deviated but until I found myself back onto the path and I knew the why behind the reason why something was prohibited it allowed me to get back on the path but I know that there's a verse in the um, in the New Testament as well or it could be in the Old Testament where they talk about people following the traditions of their ancestors I think Jesus says it still he comments on the fact that with the Pharisees and everything what they're doing the Pharisees isn't actually the law of God himself but the Pharisees are just following traditions you know what I'm saying and traditions isn't necessarily the way you get me and in Surah 6 yeah Al-Anam I love verses 95 to 99 poetic and beautiful you get me it is God who splits the grain and the seed He brings the living from the dead and he brings the dead from the living. Such is God. So how could you deviate? It is he who breaks the dawn and he made the night for rest and the sun and the moon for calculation. Such is the disposition of the almighty, the all-knowing. And it is he who created the stars for you, that you may be guided by them in the darkness of land and sea. We thus explain the revelations for people who know. And it is he who produced you from a single person, then a repository, then a depository. We have detailed the revelations for people who understand. And it is he who sends down water from the sky. With it we produce vegetation of all kinds from which we bring greenery, from which we produce grains in clusters and palm trees with hanging clusters and vineyards and olives and pomegranates similar and dissimilar. 
Watch their fruits as they grow and ripen. Surely in this are signs for people who believe. Beautiful. Like, that's what I love about the, the Quran, yeah? It kind of paints the picture. It's like rap, in a way. It just paints the picture. You see it in your mind, right? But then it paints the reflection on stuff that you can already see happening. You know what I'm saying? It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book. And I remember when I was in-depth reading it a lot, quite in the recent years, right? And every time I would read something like, and this is for those who understand, it's almost as though I was drawing parallels between how some of the down south rappers sound with their ad-libs, yeah? And every time I hear, for he who understands, whatever, it sounds... Obviously, this is this this book has a tradition of being recited and you know passed on and stuff like that. Just like Homer's Odyssey has a has a tradition, an oral tradition, right, where it's sung and stuff like that. But you know, when I drew drew the parallels between the flow, the 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 imagery, you know, the reflection, yeah. And also, like, how some people produce and create rap music. It was just mind-blowing. I remember, I'm only, you know, I'm on my journey into these books. I'm at the start of that journey, so, you know, these are from, like, the first seven series, you get me? And this last verse that I'm going to share is one of my favourite verses for this for this episode is Surah 7 verse 54 Allah Araf yeah it is he who sends the wind ahead of his mercy then when they have gathered up heavy clouds we drive them to a dead land where we make water come down and with it we bring out all kinds of fruits thus we bring out the dead perhaps you will reflect some deep stuff yo differently yeah man I wanted to share with you like my favourite verses and whatnot, and that was all on the back of me going to do an episode about Haram and all of that stuff, you know what I'm saying? And just started delving through my iBooks and I found lots of different bookmarks or notes that I have written over the years for some of the books I had read. And some of you might be asking, Ra, like, don't you read like lots of modern novels? To be honest with you, I tend to, but the reason why I read a lot of the classics is because when I write stuff, I don't know, I aspire to be like, you know, the the the, the texts that have stood the test of time. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I read the Quran, the Bible, Homer's Odyssey, lots of stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Greek myth, like because I love the language used it's very it just has a certain magnitude and a weight to it you know what I'm saying and I hope to 
drop Cogitation 2.5 soon, um, as well as Internal Affairs, because there's some beautiful language on those projects, man. But yeah, this is me returning for the first time in a few weeks. New backdrop. I feel like this backdrop makes me a bit more contemplative. You know what I'm saying? So if you're here for the hype and whatnot, you might get the hype back in another thing. I might just drop it in and out. But you know what I'm saying? That's me. Whateverinit.com at whateverinit. That's W-H-T-V-R-I-N-N-I-T across all socials. You don't know. I'm out. Speak next time. Holler at me. Engage. Let me know what this podcast is saying. It's a different one from the from what you're used to. But you know, you you evolve. You try new things, and that's just the way it is. All right. Peace out. Yo, fam. What's good? What's popping? Yo, fam. What's good? What's popping? Oh, eight hundred. Yo, fam. Whatever in it, yo fam, what's good, what's poppin', yo fam, what's good, what's poppin', oh wait, hundred, yo fam, whatever in it, holler at me for the podcast, it's the coldest podcast, I said holler at me for the podcast, Mondays and Thursdays, I said holler at me on the podcast, it's the wavy podcast, it's like holler at me on the podcast, subscribe. This holiday season, we all wish for hope and healing. Children and families who spend their holidays at the hospital deserve a reason to believe in first steps, in giggles, high fives, and hugs. For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided world-class care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to help patients and healthcare heroes this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org holiday. That's childrensnational.org holiday. Does every dollar you spend on your groceries create a healthier planet, build stronger communities, and help farmers get a fair wage for their work? They could. With Hungry Harvest, get a weekly box of rescued farm-fresh produce and grocery staples that fight food waste and hunger delivered right to your door. Whether you customize or want to be surprised with our hand-picked variety of fruits and veggies, you'll save money and make a real impact. Sign up today and get 50% off your first harvest with code HUNGRY50 at HUNGRYHARVEST.net.